0: Today, um, Betterment manages $30 billion for 600,000 customers all across the U.S. And we describe Betterment as all the things a great advisor would do for you if you had one, but smarter, faster, cheaper, better than the typical uh, advisor would be.
1: Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay Ventures. On this podcast, I interview innovators about their strategies, industries, and decisions. On today's show, I chat with John Stein, the founder and chairman of Betterment. Betterment is an investing platform that helps manage people's money. Now, I've been aware of this company for a long time. John and I actually went to business school at Columbia back together in 2007, where he first told me about his vision. I didn't fully get it at the time, but like a true entrepreneur, John saw a path and was relentless. He never gave up. Betterment was the first no-fee trading platform, which was revolutionary when they launched in 2010. Since then, they've officially become a unicorn, and they currently manage over $30 billion of assets for over 600,000 customers. After 13 years at the helm, John recently stepped down from being the CEO and is now the chairman of the board. Here in the States, it's become strangely taboo for CEOs to step down. While in other countries, it's a sign of growth and development. I view John's move as a promotion, so this is something we're gonna talk about uh, today. And he's very candid about the transition and how he felt about it. He shares Betterment's founding story, how to navigate regulatory challenges, and a ton of other wisdom. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Bowery Legal. Bowery Legal provides a complete range of legal services to high-growth companies. They do everything from formation, employment, partnership agreements, stock grants, corporate matters, and venture capital and debt financings. If you're interested in learning more, visit BoweryLegal.com. I'm gonna start off today by giving John's background for him, just a little bit, not his whole bio, and then we'll jump into some hopefully deeper, more interesting questions. So first, if you don't know who John is, you should. Uh, John is the co-founder and chairman of Betterment. He served as the company's CEO for 13 years. That's a long time. Uh, And if you're not aware of Betterment, you haven't been paying attention. The company has raised $275 million, has over 500,000 customers, and according to their website, manages $21 billion in assets at this point. It's very clearly a unicorn. John and I met early, uh, a long time ago at Columbia Business School, too many years ago at this point, and we stayed in touch. He's brilliant. He's thoughtful. And I think we're going to learn something today. John, what did I miss?
0: Well, we managed 30 billion today, uh, so we've, we've grown 50, 50% since that what, what you're reading, which That's might great. be the website that maybe you got to update your website. This is this week. It was a good this Q1. Um, yeah, no, it's been uh, th- things have been good. But otherwise, right. thank you for that intro. That was awesome. And thank Thanks to you for, for setting this up and Will for helping us on the tech side.
1: Cool. So, I want to jump in today, but I think it's important for everyone listening to start off with more context about you. Can you give everyone the, kind of the overview on Betterment, what it does, and where it is today?
0: Today, um, Betterment manages $30 billion for 600,000 customers all across the US. And we describe Betterment as all the things a great advisor would do for you if you had one but smarter, faster, cheaper, better than the typical uh, advisor would be. So we manage manage a lot of people's money. When we set out back in 2010, when we first launched, the product was super simple. It was just a portfolio of stocks and bonds designed to be appropriate for your age and a couple of other inputs that that you told us. And over the years, it's become so much more sophisticated. in terms of the different goals that we help you save for, be it retirement or college or house down payment and how we think about uh, correctly matching assets to to those goals or the tax management that we do. We earn the average customer 1.38% per year more than if they were to invest on their own for free with no fees. Uh, because of the tax alpha that, that we generate, so that adds up to 38% more cash in retirement for a Betterment customer versus somebody paying no fees somewhere else. So it's just um, it's an incredible value uh, and a sophisticated advisory tax management guidance platform uh, for and and I think the growth um, uh, is a testament to that. Now we also were, were lucky because we were early. <laughs> you know, we we kind of got into fintech before fintech was a thing.
1: So uh, just to make sure I understand. So it's mainly for retirement assets for folks listening, right? You're managing a lot of money, but is it mainly retirement or is it brokerage? Who, who's the profile a target customer? And when are they engaging Betterment um, to manage their money?
0: Customers come to Betterment when they have real money and they're starting to think about, you know, okay, I need to make this, you know, this matters to me now. This is not just gambling. This is not just playing around. This is an investment and it tends, you're right, retirement is our number one goal. College savings is a big one. Uh, and uh, and people, the average customer at Betterment has invested about $50,000 with Betterment. Now, there's no minimum, right? So people can come with literally a dollar and you can set up an account. There's no minimum fees. And so it's very easy to get started. But it's also for people who have like real assets and are really trying to, um, you know, are, are well on in their, um, their financial journeys. The typical customer the average age is 37 of our customers. It's sort of mm. older millennials would be, would be an average. But, uh, but we have customers who are 22 and like fresh, freshly graduated and just got a, you know, a fancy new job. Uh, and we have customers who are 99 and, you know, well into retirement and are living, uh, you know, uh, drawing income off of their betterment assets through our retirement income product. So we'll support you throughout that entire life cycle of investing. And you know, the, the, peop- the reason that we've grown so much is, uh, is that we give great customer aligned advice and guidance. We've grown through word of mouth. We've grown through press. You know, we've grown through um, the fact that we're good for people. Uh and uh and and I think that's our reputation, right? Like if you talk to people like, you know, I bet a lot of listeners who are better My customers, we're we're known for, for being good. Not that we've done everything right, you know, not that we haven't made mistakes or, you know, people haven't had bad customer service experiences, but like by and large and on average, like we do right by people and uh and I think, you know, that's that's been key to our success.
1: So you're not the evil empire. No, we're the the
0: challengers. We're the the good guys, Mark. We're the the people's champion.
1: So, uh, is there an index that you guys benchmark against when people are thinking about return profile? If they're looking to benchmark or to a betterment, what should be, you know, for money they want to get X yield on? How do they think about what to allocate with you guys?
0: So, the way I think about it is um, we invest in the entire. Universe of liquid investable assets. Now, because of the efforts of you know folks in fintech, that universe is perhaps expanding. You know, maybe you would start to include things like art or collectibles or you know other things, um, crypto, you know, in that sort of investable universe. Whether those things, which are kind of like categories of um, fancy commodities, is kind of a way that I think about them. Uh, they're, they're not that dissimilar from like gold or, or real estate, you know, um, uh, but kind of n- newer niche uh, versions of those things. Um, uh, those are growing, but the vast majority of Americans' um, assets of, of consumer retail assets are in stocks, equities and bonds, um, government and, and corporate debt. Uh, and those why those two things? Because the markets for those things are vast and incredibly liquid and incredibly efficient and well regulated. And so they are the best, most efficient investments for most people. You pay less fees on them because they're so have they're so liquid. Um, so it doesn't cost a lot to trade them. Um, you can trust them more, they're they're less risky because they're highly regulated uh, and scrutinized by the government. And so investors in those things have a lot of recourse and protection relative to other assets. So they're they're s- relatively safe investments. The yield on them, it's not going to be, it's going to be what the stocks and bonds markets return in an average year, which, you know, a long body of literature over many, many years would suggest something like 7% per year for like a 60, 40 allocation of stocks and bonds. You know, you're going to get a higher return with slightly more volatility if you're heavier in stocks, a lower return with less volatility if you're heavier in bonds. It's pretty like boring, plain vanilla stuff, but it's also like it's the sort of like, you know, vegetables that, you know, that sort of make, should make up most of any portfolio. Um, and uh, and so I think of this as sort of like the 90% of what you should do with your money is put it in betterment. Uh, and then if you want to have, like, if you want to go buy Tesla, if that's your jam or GameStop or whatever, or crypto, you know, do those kinds of things with that kind of like 10% money. Uh, And those are not things that we support on the Betterment platform. We're for like, you're the core of your assets,
2: the core of your portfolio.
1: Now, you mentioned the algorithm and the service has become very sophisticated. And you mentioned the tax trading strategy. Can you go through a couple of the things that are unique beyond uh, buying stocks and bonds that kind of give uh, secret sauce and extra yield to folks?
0: Sure. So... One that's very widely known when you ask Betterment customers, why are you with Betterment? One thing that they often talk about is tax loss harvesting, that when, uh, when markets are down, um, we'll automatically sell off an asset, generate, if we can, uh, a tax loss, and then buy a similar asset. that's just slightly different. Maybe it tracks, it's not the S&P 500, but it's the Russell 1000 or whatever. It's a similar enough asset that it's going to be highly correlated, but it counts as different for taxes. So you get uh, some money that you can immediately offset against your current income on your taxes uh, and roll forward if you can't use it all in that year. Uh, and so you get cash in your pocket. You're paying less tax. Uh, and you can invest that. You can you can spend it. Like it's it's just and so we're generating alpha there um, through that. Uh, another great one is uh that I think fewer people know about, but is actually possibly more powerful. Um, is asset location. So, uh, what is asset location? We'll take your tax sensitive assets, like high dividend paying stocks that, um, throw off a lot of cash and therefore, you know, you pay tax when you, when you make money. Uh, and we'll put those into your retirement accounts, like your IRAs, um, even better, your Roth IRA that you'll never pay tax on or your Roth 401k. Um, and the very best account is the HSA, which you can now get through Betterment as well. That's triple, tri- triple tax advantage. Uh, we'll automatically push money into the right buckets, and we'll put the, you know, maybe the the domestic stocks that have like less that are less tax sensitive, that have less dividend yield into your taxable portfolio. That that alone is probably worth 0.7 uh, percent per year wow. on average o- over the long term. I love that.
1: And and just for the folks listening, I've been a Betterment customer. It's just simple. You don't have to figure any of this stuff out. You kind of just click some buttons, and it starts doing its its magic. Why did you start Betterment? And I'm going to ask this question, even though it's a little loaded. Uh, if you'll recall, we were in an entrepreneurship class together, a VC class.
0: <laughs> yeah, way It was long you, Mark. You, you, you inspired me to start Betterment. In business
1: school. And so I remember I was telling you an idea about an investing site that was really easy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I remember you were <laughs> pitching me, you were telling me about this idea you had, and I don't think I got it. Uh, and now here you are. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about kind of the problem you set out to solve? And,
0: yeah, I was lucky uh, enough in uh, my first year uh, at Columbia Business School to take what was, I think I was maybe the only first set 1st year student in that class, right? Um, and Mark was a year ahead of me. And I was super lucky to, I think, be sitting next to you on the day that we were finding partners. And I was like, hey, will you be my partner? And you're like, uh who's <laughs> this guy? Um, anyway, I, and, and so I felt, uh, and, and I, I knew enough, Uh, I don't know if I knew you already when I asked to be partners or or what, but I quickly figured out that you were like one of the savviest guys in the class. Like, like Mark um, for, for, for listeners who don't know, I remember like during, during like breaks between class, like he would be just like chatting VC over coffee at like the little coffee shop, like near campus with like the other, like one or two kids who were like already like, you know, had their VC jobs lined up. He was just like on that track. And it was like, uh it was very clear that that you were uh, well networked and a and a person to know. So I felt lucky to be to be partnered with you. That's very nice of you. Um and uh and I um you know I did have this idea for betterment when I came to Columbia, which which was also weird and unique. Like, you know, I didn't I, I, I should take maybe a step back and then I'll come back to, to Columbia and, and like that that class. But when I graduated, I guess um high school, I was like I'll oh, be a journalist, and so I went into college thinking I'd be a journalist. And I started working at the paper, and I realized I didn't like the writing as much as I liked. I'd been the editor of the paper in high school. What I really liked was building the team and putting like people together. And I was like, yeah, that w- that was fun. And so I ran the student grill in college, and I organized a bunch of house activities. And I like had this like I liked putting teams together, but I didn't know you know that I wanted to start a business. I was I, I had no idea. Um, when I graduated, I, I took a post-bac pre-med year because I thought, well, maybe I'll be a doctor and that, that would be fun. And eventually, you know, I, after working in the hospital and realizing I didn't like blood and working in the labs and realized I didn't like pipetting things, I was, I was thinking, I, sh- I should start a business. I like bringing people together, but like, wh- but what? And I thought back to my freshman year of college when I'd taken, um, when I'd taken uh, economics and I learned a lot about how. uh, I took from from Marty Feldstein, who was an advisor to Presidents Reagan and Obama. It's sort of like, you know, different ends of the spectrum. But I learned that through really smart analysis and great policy, we can make the world a better place. We can help people be better off. And at the same time, I took a a psychology class from this guy, Irv DeVore, behavioral psychology, who taught me that despite all our best intentions and all the right incentives, people do really stupid stuff you know, people have no idea, we get in our own way. And those two ideas were, have always been in my mind ever since. And I thought, you know, it's, it's obvious what people should do with their money. Like I've learned what I should do with my money, I should invest it in the boring, you know, stocks and bonds and like, you know, rebalance it every once in a while and be tax efficient with it. But then, come, you know, along comes GameStop, and everyone wants it on that. And in my personal life, when I graduated, I was like, I was investing in stupid stuff, you know. I was like buying um airline stocks after like 9/11 and I also bought Enron on the way down and I was just like, you know, buying and trading stupid things and you I made some money on th- some things. I was gambling. Um yeah. and I lost some money on some things and I knew better um or I should have known better given the things I knew, but I, it, it just all of these thoughts were swirling in my head and I thought I can help make what is this hard problem of what should i do with my money really easy for people i can build an answer to that i can do that i know vanguard's out there but they're terrible at tech ing mm-hmm. direct is out there that they're you know they're giving a paulsley savings yield and they have terrible investments but like a decent experience what if i just combine those concepts and so i you know, started talking about that idea, and I, you know, was selling, you know, people on it, and people were like, "Yeah, like, you know, like, kind of like your your reaction of like, I don't, I don't know, it seems like, the, <laughs> not sure, I see a market there." And my parents kind of reacted the same way when <laughs> I told them I was going to start this company, and they were like, well, what, did, you know, like, why don't you just keep 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 going with your applications to the business school?" And so I walked into Columbia. Coming back to that point in the story, being like the one weird guy who like wasn't interested in doing any sort of recruiting or anything. I was just like, I'm going to start this company. And so I walked into that class, you know, first year of business school with you. And
1: that's awesome. I was like,
0: I want to do this. Um, and you got to help me build out, build out, you know, one of the first um, business cases. And that was really helpful to me. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no, but you, you, so first of all, I didn't realize I was helpful at all. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, but you, you came at this seeing a problem, right? Just the need for extreme simplicity is that the right way to think about it because i remember you pitching this business distilling down to a slider it was like more risk less risk that was it yep when
2: uh when i was first concepting betterment i was
0: building the entire thing in Excel, I was a consultant back then. I was a consultant to banks and brokers, so I was like for, for for five years after college that's how I learned a lot about financial services that's how I learned enough to have the confidence to be able to start a business in financial services and um, when you're a consultant, everything you you do is in Excel, at least it was back then and um, and, and, um, and I learned a little bit of Visual Basic, you know enough to kind of build a model, and I learned enough uh, then that I could start coding and Flash, very simple stuff. And so I was building the site myself, you know, I was, I was the engineer, I was, I was everything, you know, and, about uh, that? And, and so it had to be simple because that's all that's all I knew. <laughs> and also like web tech was so simple back then. I mean, we were still using Flash for one thing. So that, that was a different era, um, you know, it was before mobile, right, you didn't have to worry about mobile, you could just design um, for this one, you know, screen size use case and Flash made it, made it really easy the um, the, ex- the the comps out there were terrible. Be- like a lot of people don't remember this, but Betterment was the for one, and, and maybe people on the on the in the clubhouse will correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I haven't been caught on this yet. As far as I know, we were the first brokerage to be um, no minimum, no fee, no uh, no, and 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 so anyone could come.
1: And it was was prever- pretty shares. revolutionary. Concepts. Right. Like
0: we, we were investing, even, even a dollar, you could build a diversified portfolio across all these things. And, uh, and so there was a ton of back end heavy lifting um, and innovation there to make that happen. We didn't have all the sort of like, you know, picks and shovels things that are available now to sort of like make these things easier. And, uh, and then on the front end, we were the first service to show you a projection of how your money might grow over time and like a range of outcomes that. Now there was, I should, you know, there was financial engines for those who were like, you know, um, uh, who were were gonna keep me honest. I remember looking at them and thinking, well, that's a cool thing, but they did sort of like this, I don't know, Monte Carlo-ish like, you know, slow simulation at Betterment. You'd move that slider uh, that you're talking about, Mark, and like this, like animation would just pop and you could like wag the tail. I spent like more days, possibly weeks than I'd care to admit. working on perfecting that animation because they really wanted like the interface to sing. that's great I wanted it to feel um like a different thing like this like very like fun user experience to like kind of play with your allocation and see what the future might look like because people hate thinking about the future gosh you know like we're we're sort of evolved in an environment where we think about what are we going to have for dinner tonight not you know am i going to retire okay
1: mm, i love that point so y- it sounds like you were in a little bit of a bootstrap and you had been thinking about this for a long time. For those who don't know, the people in entrepreneurship will often refer to the first stage of a business as the zero to one. That's a stage where you're kind of building, getting things on the rails. And I think one is probably when you've got revenue, the machine's working, and you're just, now you're focusing more on doing more of it. That the, You have a single unit economic functioning for the business. It's working. An engine. Complete. What was the hardest part about zero to one at Betterment?
2: Regulatory approvals was
1: Ooh, the hardest thing.
2: We, we uh,
0: you know, building this service was hard, but once, you know, it was linear, you know, it was just something that we knew we could do. We could, we could launch the thing, and all kinds of, but like everyone kind of understand, everyone who's starting a business understands these arguments of like, yeah, hey, should we, work on the sign up, or should we work on the, you know, the, like this part of the, 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 service or that the regulatory thing was just a huge unknown. So when we, I didn't know when, when I started out, if we would be a bank or a mutual fund, or, uh, you know, there's, there's a few, a broker an investment advisor, none of these, I, I, ideally it would have been none of the above. It would have just been like this unregulated entity that's helping people do the right thing with their money. Like, you know, I was like, trust us. And I bought all these legal books. I had a whole shelf of them, and uh, and I was reading and derivatives law and all these things. And there's no way around like U.S. securities regulation now. Maybe, maybe you know, Bitcoin got through. You know, and b- before before anyone caught them, they sort of snuck in there. But it's kind of crazy um, uh, that 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 they that they did because it's really hard to kind of get away from from securities regulation. And, and that's a good thing. Like this is it. This is generally that like we, we want these markets to be well regulated. Um, it protects investors. So we had to be something we had to kind of choose. And I, I found the investment advisors a great way to go. But because when you're an investment advisor, you have to have a clearing firm. We couldn't and we went to all these clearing firms and they'd say, Yeah, we'd love to do your business. It's going to be $100 to open every account and it's going to be $10 per trade. And if you want to have no minimums, and that was a, a doesn't sticking point for me, it just doesn't work. You know, like, you know, you can't, you can't possibly, you know, I was like, How about, how about nothing? How about we pay nothing for, for that service? Because <laughs>
2: we'll you're literally action. just.
0: It's just data, yeah. it's like you're, you're not doing anything. I'm not asking you to pick up the phone. I just want you to create an account. Like why does that cost a hundred dollars? So we had to build that. We had to build our own custody record-keeping system. like that was a lot of code, but you know that was linear. Getting approval from the regulators to operate that system was tricky, and we had you know we were two or two or three people, and we had to go and present to FINRA and say. Mm-hmm. Yes, trust us. We have all the money is here and we know it's all here. And, like, you know, to their great credit, to the credit of America and to the, you know, system of government and system of, you know, corporate regulation that we have, it happened. Like, you know, people talk about how hard it is and, you know, and it was really hard, but it's not like this is, you know, this is not a third world country where the only way to get there is through connections. I didn't, I mean, listen, I've had all kinds of privileges and, you know, um, I am a very, uh, fortunate person, um, and uh, so don't get me wrong when I say this, but like I didn't have connections or like some kind of in to to you know to the regulators. We were just you know independent citizens trying to start a company, and like to get through that process took a long, long time. It took over a year. It was uncertain that we would get approval to do it, and when we finally got approval, it was only because we were going on TechCrunch like the next day, and we had this forcing mechanism, like we have to launch this product. And I've been telling them for weeks that this was coming. And it was like, we need approval. We need approval. We need a, and you know, to their great credit, they gave us approval on the Friday before we launched on, on Monday. So that Live actually worked. Disrupt. It worked.
1: Because I, I imagine bureaucratic processes where you know, the paperwork is stuck on somebody's desk uh, and totally. they can't do anything. Their hands are tied for some reason. But it sounds like if you give them a deadline, they walk down the hall, they got the paperwork done. And you got you got to stamp on something totally. Right? So uh, it, it means they can't actually move it forward when they want to. There's control
2: that's
0: right. And there's a lot of discretion. And like, you know this is this is where, you know, like I do have to recognize you know I do have to ch- like recognize that like um, uh, i've I've had a lot of uh, privilege and for you know I'm fortunate in life because there is like always a human element to these things um, right. and uh, in Betterment, in in our team in our backgrounds, in our bios, they sort of saw enough to not like, credible to be like, yeah, okay, we can, right. we can trust this and we can keep an eye on it.
1: Right. Now, th- there's a debate that people have when they have to go through regulatory approvals of whether to launch preemptively, hey, this thing's kind of stood up, we'll start operating as we're getting licensed or to wait until you're fully licensed. Sounds like you waited. Why?
2: We... Have this um, philosophy of just doing things the right way,
0: and I think particularly when you want to earn people's trust and manage their money it's important that you establish a track record and a culture and a um, you know a mission of like doing right by the customer doing doing right by by all parties and um, I think in financial services, there's just not a lot of room for, you know, in, in my view, like kind of like the cowboy, you know, bad actors. I think, sure, they, you can build a business, but you very quickly get regulated away. And even some right. of the current, you know, kinds of things that you know are maybe glowing hot, um, it, you know, I I I don't I don't get excited about. I I again I I take a long view, and in in, in the long term. You know the the things that tend to be, um, you know, the best businesses are kind of the most boring businesses. Like they're they're the ones that you know follow the rules and like grow and like you know do right by their customers and like constantly invest in creating more value. It's just like it's just work, um, and it may not be the the flashiest thing, but I think it creates like real long
2: term value.
1: What was the worst part about the process, company building in the zero to one phase for you?
2: Um, the worst part, uh, you know, like it was pretty fun to be
0: honest. I, I had a great, great time back then. We, we had this little office on union square. We were, we were like doing this thing that nobody in New York was doing. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to, to, I mean, you remember this time. Well, like when, when you were in in VC in New York and there weren't a lot of VCs in, in, in New York. And, you were
1: less than a dozen uh, at the time.
0: Yeah, I knew them all, right? And and so and so it was kind of like a, a small a small community. There there wasn't there was no fintech that was not a thing that existed. There were very few startups in, in New York. I used to go to the New York Tech Meetup, and there would be fifty people there, and that was like the entire New York tech community of like founders and entrepreneurs and, and all those kinds of things. And you know, and there were other entrepreneurs at, at Columbia, but it was kind of like a it just felt like you know, it wasn't like a focus, you know, um, they were trying to grow it like to, you know, to the credit of the school, they were investing in it and growing the program, but it it was, um, it was maybe not the most popular curriculum. So, uh, so it was kind of a fun time. I mean, we could, we had, had meetings that we'd walk around union square and go to coffee shop. And, you know, it just felt like, it felt like we were really onto something. I I felt at the time, like this is going to be big, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. we're, we're we're in it, we're in a moment. And everyone said to me back then, um, "This was, you know, when I was first that we launched in 2010." But remember, the, the mortgage bubble burst in 2008 and nine, and things were real bad in financial services yeah, and at that time. Everyone was saying, "You know, like why would you be in financial services? Like this is a terrible spot to to be starting a business." And um, I think we're so lucky that we got started at that time. You know, if, if we hadn't, we would have been lagging somebody else who would have seen you know this obvious idea that we were pursuing of building a, a next gener- generation, you know, customer aligned investment platform.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a contrarian in that. I, I think as industries get decimated, that's when you want to kind of fill the gap, fill the void. Financial services aren't going away; it just needs to be redone. I'm with you on that. I agree. So look, and,
0: and one, of, I, I worry today about you know all the. The buzziness in, uh, in, in the markets um, and the contrarian in me is, is, is nervous, uh, given, given what I see.
1: You're talking about the market kind of hitting peaks and high valuations, et
0: cetera? 100%. And, and listen, we don't time the market. Um, yep. You know, I don't, I don't, time, I don't, and I, I'm not trying to today. I'm not say, um, you know, my retirement assets are invested for the long term. They're invested the same way that, that they they were. Four years ago and and 10 years ago, and that's sort of the way it should be. But um, in my sort of personal life, um, you know, I am, I have a lot of exposure to the market through my equity in betterment, right? Like we have, you know, that I have a high beta, you know, sort of asset there. And so when I think about like, what do I want to do with like the little, you know, little bit of like liquidity that I have from the company? It's like, I'm not like looking to go out and like, you know, throw it all in, in stocks today or all in like sort of like early stage startups. I'm, do, I'm like, I'm helping companies. I'm really enjoying that and, and advising folks. Um, I, I'm having a lot of fun with that right now. But uh, but I, I do get worried about the, the kind of state of valuations in, in the world.
1: You know, it's interesting. So I, I read Howard Marks. Are you familiar with him? He's a yes. legendary yeah, yeah. um, hedge fund investor. And he writes a I want to say it's almost monthly letter, which a lot of these hedge fund investors do. Um, he's iconic. I mean, I, I'm probably going to get the facts wrong, but I believe he dumped ten billion dollars of capital into the market at the bottom in 2008, something like that, right? So he's yep. he he really knows what he's doing. His he's one of his motor- yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, he's in
1: that zone. For those who don't yeah. know him, he's one of his insights, which I think was uh, very telling recently in one of his letters, was that he doesn't think the market's overvalued. Now, I'm probably I'm paraphrasing him here, so I'm sure if he's listening to this, which I'm sure he's not. You might correct me on a few things. Um, His point was the increased prices actually reflect inflation. That the Fed and the government has dumped so much money in that everything's going up. I I saw the first report today, too, that um, the consumer index has stepped up. So it means there's inflation for basic household goods. This is a thing I've been hearing for a while, that there's actually two uh, levels of inflation. There's inflation in the market, and there's kind of an inflation for people with assets and there's an inflation rate for people without the assets. The haves and the half nots have different inflation rates. So his yep. point was, if you, if you adjust for that, the valuations are still in the band of reason, which I found very telling. Uh, and that was, I think the conclusion from it was, it's not a, a good or a bad time to invest, but it's, it, it's not something you should be fleeing or expect a short-term crash. Do you, any of that resonate with you? I mean, I'm sure you're dealing with your chief investment officer and all these people all the time, and you're paying more attention to the market than I am.
0: That's- it absolutely resonates, and I I worry about inflation. Like I'm, I won't be the only person to talk about it, and inflation will come when as soon as you know enough people believe it's it's coming. That's that's when you'll start to see it in in prices. Um, uh, and I agree that it's possible that we've already seen some of it, you know, and and we've sort of built built it into you know f- future equity prices. Um, but I worry about it because we haven't lived in a world of inflation and, you know, most of our lives. And, uh, and so I just, um, I don't have that kind of like, I was born in 1979 when the last inflationary period was maybe, um, you know, close to its its peak and kind of coming down through, through the 80s, things were, things were getting better. And um, so I just don't have like firsthand experience. Um, I, I don't know what it's like. And I, and I worry a little bit about uh, that world and and how to how to how to you know how to invest through it is something that yes we we spend a lot of time um thinking about
1: i think this is one of the big motivations for the crypto market right you know uh, a lot of one of the major drivers for inflation for folks listening is government printing money when there's just a greater supply of dollars it takes more dollars to buy things that's inflation uh the th- one of the big thinking piece thought pieces behind bitcoin was that a government doesn't own the currency they can't make more of it there's a fixed supply crypto's obviously picked up a lot lately john how does how do you think that plays into the overall uh, world of finance do you think it's an asset that every family should own
2: i uh i was listening to uh a, an older planet money this week on on inflation and
0: um they were Revisiting the idea that money supply uh, is a contributor to inflation—it's very logical. You and I learned it in, in economics, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and it makes a lot of sense. But the newer text, the newer—I won't say 100 percent. Like, I, who who knows what percentage of professors think this way? But my my takeaway from the episode was like, you kind know, of where like, the the industry is is uh, or the state of the art is that money supply doesn't. Really drive inflation. It's expectations about future inflation that that drive inflation, Um, because we've had huge increases to you know the money supply and and shocks and and long term increases, and it hasn't hasn't materialized. So it's hard to say that's the driver. Um, I so therefore do I believe that um, money supply is is linked directly to the value of the currency? Um, No, I think there's a lot of other things, and and I would take that into the crypto example as well. The supply um, is not what's driving the run-up in prices. It's not like supply has suddenly been constrained and then, oh, and then, and then the price shut uh-huh. up. It's just expectations about future value. Uh, people, people believe that uh, Bitcoin will be another whatever, whatever your crypto of choices will will be, um, you know, increasingly accepted, increasingly part of, you know, uh, normal society or, you know, like. And you'll be able to use it to buy hamburgers and shampoo, not just um, you know uh, things in on the dark web.
2: And I uh, like I'm here for that. Like, I'm like that. Like that. What, that's what okay. Think? Like that's. A, I think that's fine. I just I'm
0: not sure that I believe that in that world where crypto is you know incredibly more accepted that. Um, Bitcoin or any one of the kind of like stores of value that exists today are the, you know, continue to be the stores of value that they are at this moment. And maybe they have another 100x to grow from here. I'm, listen, I, I wouldn't have predicted the the growth to date. so, So don't listen to me on this, but I also just don't see, I don't see a lot of competitive barriers to, you know, other things coming out. And like, why should why is that a store of value? There is what I do
2: what, what I believe is that like, generally, um, assets, that appreciate, have
0: some intrinsic value, even gold, you know, which is maybe like people are like, Oh, crypto's like gold, I mean, gold has some value be it, you know, in jewelry, or um, in you know manufacturing or something, but but definitely real estate, stocks, bonds, like and, and these kinds of things have like real value. Crypto just doesn't. And neither does a U.S. Same, dollar, right? It doesn't have an um, intrinsic
1: value, right? It's just a piece of paper, correct. or a digital asset. Now, if you that's if,
0: totally if, that's totally if, right. It is an imaginary thing, and yet it is. Nouvel uh, calls it by reality. The U.S. Government, it has that additional piece, and mm-hmm. like Bit- and like, there's only one U.S. government, and Bitcoin is backed by a bunch of like people saying Bitcoin is valuable. So like, and there's only one of those, and I get like, so I, I you like listen, you so but if you're in a country report. with a I dictator, think you could start your own thing, right? And you know, a lot of people have tried, and eventually, I don't know that I see like real barriers. So
1: you're comparing it though to the U.S. government. The point I wanted to make is if you're in a country. W- where the government's changed 6 times in the last 6 decades and there's a dictator at the helm um, and they print money whenever they want to buy more arms i'm making the, the most god awful scenario you can imagine the idea of something not controlled by anybody but an algorithm might seem safer than something with uh, human hands on it i'm interested sure
2: to admit to to many
0: people it it does
1: are, are you are you holding bitcoin are you an owner?
0: I am not. No.
1: Interesting. Fascinating. Okay. So Bitcoin will not be showing up on Betterman's platform anytime soon I assume.
0: Well, that no, so it might, right? Like cuz I think there's enough people who do want it and where where I would like what's a responsible way to invest in these kinds of assets? I said it, you know, early like you want 90% in these kinds of things and 10% over there part of the challenge um, of investing in Bitcoin has been kind of, um, or, or investing in crypto has been, uh, you know, diversified liquid access, right? Like, you know, if you want to in- invest in a basket of things like that maybe makes more sense than like, than, than, than like picking, picking one. And those, those products are coming, right? Like they're, they're, they're here or, you know, about to be here. Uh, and so I think you'll see more, more ways to kind of, responsibly invest. And that's also, by the way, the expectation of that coming has been driving the the price of these
1: assets up too. I'm going to change topics for a second here. Thank you for thoughts on Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, You've recently made a move, right? You've transitioned from the CEO of Betterment to the chairman. And interestingly, I view that as a promotion. And I think uh, there's complicated perspectives around that transition in the market. And it varies, interestingly, by country. I was talking to someone recently who is Israeli. And they were saying, you know, in Israel, someone leaves a CEO role, no one cares. You're just going to the role where you're best suited at that moment in time. It's about the company. But in the States, it's loaded. where We we tend to have a lot more context and implications and judgments, good and bad, on stuff. Um, How did that transition go for you? What was your mindset as you went through it? Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions on this, because I think this is a really important concept for folks. I think a lot of people are afraid to stop being CEO, and I don't know that that's logical or even rational. I think it's um, a fantastic move. so please please tell us a little bit more if you don't mind.
2: I put myself in that in that bucket maybe of people who are like afraid to to stop. Um, and I agree with like
0: the um, you know, maybe you say, said it was an Israeli sentiment of it sort of being like a, a logical, you know, next step or, or the right role at the right time. Like a metaphor that came to my mind in, in the last week because this is a recent thing for me, right? I, I and, and I'll go into a little bit more the the, the backstory, but um, I transitioned um, end of December, Jan Jan one, basically. I um, uh, you know became the the chairman, and Sarah uh, is the the full time CEO, and I thought it's kind of like um it's kind of like your your kids graduating. I mean people ask me how could you leave people how could you leave Betterment, you know, like this company that you love so much. It was like your first child, you know. And it's true. Like and like all of that is true and I love it very much, to, you know, still and I love all the team and I love everything that that we do. Um but the company is in better hands now <laughs> and and the company is like, you know, the team is in better hands and uh the mission, you know, remains and um, and it's a little like, you know, I can't teach my kids everything, you know, like, and so it's, it's good that, you know, they get to go off to college or they get to go to school. Like, of course, like I love them. And of course, like I, you know, I want to do, do the, the best I can for them and be there for them. But like, it doesn't, like, I'm not everything to them. So, um uh, right. I guess, uh, uh, like to go back to the, to the story I'd been thinking, for let's say a long time about like what succession would be like. I mean, I remember when I started the company and we took our series A, I was, you know, at that time, I remember thinking about, you know, now I have a board, you know, and like I serve at the pleasure of the board and someday like we might find somebody who can do this better. And, you know, over time, I remember periodically kind of like bringing up the idea of like, Maybe you know. Maybe someday we want to find somebody else like who can like take take the company forward. And I always got like, oh no no no, like you know, like you're a founder CEO, like you you know. Um, and I used to tell this sto- this like metaphor that is telling of of being on a, a startup. I, I said this all the time to so many people, and you'll probably see it in, in interview notes here here and there. But that like being a a, a founding CEO is like being on a roller coaster, you know, and lots of people use that metaphor. There's like, there's like great highs and like great lows, but like the thing I always thought was particularly apt is like, and you can't get off. You're you're stuck in until the end of the ride. Right. I love that. And, um, and I was talking uh, about um, a year and a half ago, I think it could be a little longer to a good friend of mine who stepped down from his company around that time. And I was shocked. I was just like, wow, like you, whoa, and it had this, and he was so happy. You know? <laughs> he was, he was like, you know, I just, I just told them like, and it was this process. He had to kind of like come to the point where he was like, like, I'm going to do this. And like, it, you know, we were with other, other friends and like a lot of like other founders. And a lot of people were like, uh, oh, you know, like we're all, all asking questions about like, how could you do that? And. You know, it just made so much sense when he he explained his reasoning, and like, you know, just like you know, he was ready for the next thing. And I, so I, I had been interviewing a number of um, executives, knowing that I wanted some kind of additional, like, you know, partner or somebody like at my level um, who could be a successor uh, for the last year plus. And COVID was actually a great time to go through that process. It was. It's like I, I met. Maybe a hundred senior executives in, wow. in the last year. It was just—it's so cool because you can call up anybody, and they're—you know—you don't have to like fly around the country to meet folks, and you know, schedules are just so much easier. So I found it great. And um, in 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 that context, uh, in the context of hiring a CRO, Chief Revenue Officer or COO, I met Sarah Levy um, in the spring of 2020, and she was she had recently been the uh, um, uh, uh, the COO at Viacom, uh, which is a huge, you know, big, yep. big company managing t- tens of thousands of folks in, in her org. She started out there in Nickelodeon. And so we like to say, you know, she's been marketing to millennials her entire life. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, uh, I was just immediately, um, taken by her. And she likes to say like, I ghosted her after that, which might be true. I might have like been interviewing like a bunch of people at the time, but like, I was like, oh, she's really awesome. And like, I quickly came around and, um, uh, you know, invited her in as a consultant to Betterment. And, uh, you know, fortunately she, she took me up on that opportunity. And I love the sort of like, try before you buy approach in general for all roles, but like, particularly for like a su- super senior role, it feels really right. important to me. And to be honest, I don't think any of us, me, her, the board were like positive when we started out, like that, you know, this was going to be like the, you know, the path, but I was so, I was just so impressed by her. Like she, she came in and, you know, she was in our our exec meetings and I just saw us like having a better conversation and getting to a better place more quickly. And, um, I just thought she should do this, you know, like she's, she's great. Um, and so I'm really happy to report that. Um, the team seems happy, you know. Here, like, you know, I'm knocking on wood because it's like early days. But um, the company's doing well. We grew 50% year over year in in Q1, and you know, Fantastic. Like up, up, up from 40% year over year for for, for last year. Um, you know, we're we're doing great. And she's like making smart investments in B2B. The 401k business at Betterman is like really booming. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're launching new products. HSA is, continues to really deliver and, and she keeps like expanding, um, you know, checking savings functionality, all these things that like, you know, she's, she gets it. Um, uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm happy about how that's gone.
1: Advice for folks listening. There'll be, I'm sure a lot of CEOs listening to this conversation. When is the right time to pass the baton? How do you think about that?
2: Um, it's tough. You know, it's a thing I thought a lot about, and um, you know, people people
0: have all different incentives, right? I, I remember talking to some folks, and it's a hard thing to talk about because what are you going to do? Like, you're going to go to your most trusted team members and say, "I'm kind of tired. I kind of think I'm going to go," because like they're not going <laughs> to stick around. Like, if you're in that yeah, environment demolition. where you're like, where you're, where you're, like, it's a lot of uncertainty around a transition like this. Um, so it's delicate. Um, it's a tricky thing to talk about with the. Board <laughs> you know how do you how do you sort of say because um, you know you're probably looking at them to like also invest in your next rounds or you know like there's just so much uncertainty and like what if things go sideways? Or you don't find the right person so it's it's really hard. and I talked to my coach about it, like my exec coach. Uh, we were chatting about exec coaches just just before the, the show started, and um, I'm catching up with him again uh, again tomorrow, but he said don't, you know, don't, no, you can't like go. Like you're, you, you, you are a better man. Like that's what a good coach is supposed to do, I guess, is like sort of talk you up and like put you back in the game and, you know, like go, go, go. I don't know. They're supposed
1: to get you where you're um, supposed
0: to go, I think. It's so tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Um, uh, and and what's my advice is be open, you know, it, it, um, it it's, I, I don't like, I don't like think, if I were still the CEO, like I'd be having a bad time. Like that was a great job. And I often, you know, I've often said, you know, i have like the best job. Like this is great. But I can also say, you know, I've, I've never been happier, right? Like I'm, I'm just really, I'm delighted with um, where things are for the company, for me personally. Like, I'm jo- like um, you know, I, but I feel very lucky, very, very fortunate that, that that's the outcome. And um, it takes a lot of, it took a lot of work. To, to kind of land 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 that plane um, not just for me but from uh, a lot of folks
1: tell us about about landing the plane what's the most important tip you can pass along to folks about how to navigate a transition at the top
0: hire the right hire the right person i mean it's all it's all people it's like everything this is like everything it comes back to people um, and you know it, that's a tricky tricky thing to know um, uh, as it is with any hire but this is a particularly tricky one
1: All right, we're going to shift on here. Um, There's probably a lot of entrepreneurs who are going to listen to this. I'm assuming this is going to attract folks who are in the financial industry, fintech folks. What are areas of opportunity? Where should people be building? If you're an entrepreneur out there looking for a concept, where should they focus? Yeah.
2: Um, I think there's so much work still to do in fintech. I'm just going to talk about Fintech, because that's that's
0: what I know know best. And oh my gosh, there's so many interesting things happening in biotech and AI. And like, please go innovate there if you know anything about because we because we need you. We need smart people in those fields. But what I know is uh, is fintech, and there's so many problems that remain. Even though it seems like wow, there's I'm I'm like just floored by how much innovation there is compared to ten years ago. Um, There's still a lot to do in traditional financial services businesses. So number one. You know, it is still, despite all the innovation, it's like kind of annoying to design, build, sell a home. Everything, you know, it's pretty easy now to like get a mortgage. I feel like that process is, I mean, could could definitely be more streamlined. But people are like working hard to streamline that. But wow, there's a lot of interesting innovation around you know making, um, identifying a home, financing. You know, like. Um, uh uh remodeling it um all through through digital technologies. Uh prop tech I think is super interesting. Insurance has been you know talked ad nauseum, but um having just you know got you know I I just got life insurance using Policy Genius, uh a plug mm-hmm. for my my friend Jen who, who runs them. And I thought they did great, but wow, the process is, you know, the back end is still still terrible. And like these big legacy, you know, companies have not totally embraced the fintech revolution yet, and there's 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 just more years and more miles to go there, I mean, betterment you know wow, we managed thirty billion dollars and like coinbase just IPO would and what they they say they manage was it ninety billion to two hundred billion like I, I, there was like maybe last year with ninety billion it's like in kind of an incredible number, like obviously inflated by by the the value of crypto these days, but I, you know these are. Tiny relative to the trillions of dollars of of assets um, in uh, in in, and so there's a lot of room left to grow uh, in traditional businesses too. I think alts is a really interesting spot on the kind of wealth tech. Or you know, um, mm. I there there's there's all this cool um, you know opportunities to invest in art and collectibles and, uh, and fractional real estate, you know, residential real estate. And I've always had a bit of a skeptical view towards these things. You heard me talking about, you know, crypto, like, that is another one of these. Right. And like I said, that same, but uh, where we are now is, is the reason I was skeptical was because I, I think there's this adverse selection that for the retail investor going to invest in art or collectibles or even cryptocurrency you don't really have an information advantage over the institution or the person who is spending full time doing that thing i as a you know casual like as a ceo doing angel investments would have no chance against you mark the vc who's like looking at deal flow and like networked and understands like the 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 bigger picture professionals have an advantage in these in these niche niche you know investment markets and so that's why I was skeptical. But I think increasingly I'm seeing access, you know, democratized access to great managers, right? Mm. Um, and that's interesting to me uh, because you can, we've reduced the cost of investment. We've reduced the cost of KYC. We've reduced... So um, that opens up some more interesting like investment opportunities for... Anyway, that's, that's two. Is, is, so traditional businesses is interesting. Alts is interesting. And then three, I... People have talked a lot about picks and shovels investments like Plaid or what have you, um, Alloy, you know, as being like interesting. I I know um, uh, this is a a common topic in fintech. Is like you want to build like the the infrastructure layer that powers all these startups and you know gathers their venture dollars. I'm I don't think we're done with that either, and I don't think it's like doing the same things that these other companies are doing. Um, But I think it's interesting new. Data sources. So yes, like um, uh, we're, we've got your bank account and login credentials, and like that. Like lots of people are doing that. And yes, we have your credit report. Credit Karma did an amazing job of kind of like making that available to to folks. But there's so many interesting data sources that would be useful in providing a better financial and overall wellness to to, to people, such as um, your um, uh, your your taxes, which are kind of like over here and like hidden, you know, in, in your tax software, but make that accessible to to people, and you can do a lot of really intelligent, fun things for them on off of that. Or your spending data, which you know, a few people have tried, but I haven't really seen anyone do like great, awesome, you know, uh, intelligence based off of my past uh, spending. Health data, um, payroll is one that I'm like really. I'm, I'm advising a, a company um, and looking at another one that you know are kind of in and around this. What can we do if we know everything about your present and past payrolls? Like how could we, you know, help you um save, you know, um mm. borrow all like what there, there's a lot of great information. Um and so making that accessible, I think, is a really interesting opportunity.
1: Thank you for that. That was more than one area of focus. That's great. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. Got more. Uh, hopefully, some people will be inspired start. to start some some uh, businesses from that. So um As far as entrepreneurship goes, you kind of won the game and you've got some free time now, where does John Stein go over the next 10 years? Today I'm
0: enjoying having free time for the first time in a long time. And I've got two, you know, pretty young kids, five, five and six. And so, um, enjoying, you know, being dad, enjoying, um, uh, working on, um, our, our house. And that just, it's just, it's just so nice. I mean, this kind of stuff, uh, it was always like what I would look forward to on the weekends and I still feel really busy. Like it's not like I just get to do it all day, every day. Like I'm doing a lot of work still d- during, during the days, but, um, I'm, I'm enjoying getting to do more of those things that I love. And, uh, and then, um, what's keeping me occupied is, is really, um, I, I love uh, meeting founders. I love uh, getting to know companies. I'm finding this curiosity that drew me to Betterment and to the opportunity in the first place is, is coming back. And I had, you know, like I really had had kind of had to put a lid on it and stop reading so much. And, you know, of course, like, and just, just stop, like, put my head in the sand a little bit because Everything I looked at, if it wasn't directly relevant to Betterment, felt like cheating on Betterment. Right when you're the CEO, it's like, nope. Like you know, like like you could always be doing five percent better, two percent better, and like and so like just do that. Now I'm just enjoying, um, you know, um, the the the, my my leisurely exploration of of you know the kind of broader areas of, of tech around what we've been doing and I'm finding it so fun to like help like early stage entrepreneurs right like their, like, awesome. their questions are like cute and like you know should we go b2b B or b2c i am like oh you know like or they, one person was like sh- should I do both and like it was just really fun to, to say don't try to start out doing both you know <laughs> <laughs> like, just just pick one like you know the kind of right. like fun obvious stuff so
1: that's fantastic thank you so much for making time and being on the show today
0: Pleasure, Mark. Uh, Always great to see you um, and uh, thanks for doing this. it's, It's a lot of fun to do.
1: Cool. Well, that was awesome. Huge thanks to John for sharing what he's done with Betterment. I particularly enjoyed the bit about navigating a highly regulated sector. That's become a pattern of advice on the pod and goes against the conventional wisdom that scrappy entrepreneurs follow. So I think it's super interesting and helpful. Hopefully you took that to heart. I'm excited to see what John does next. If you liked what you heard, please hook us up with a like or a five-star review and feel free to share with a friend. You can find me on Twitter at MPD. And to hear more of my conversations with innovators, subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, or any major podcast platform. Just search for Innovation with Mark Peter Davis.